All right, welcome to Look at My Records. I'm here with Colin Molding. Wow, it's just so uh, awesome to be able to speak to you. Longtime XTC fan, love the new uh, TCNI project. How are you doing today? It's great to talk to you. I'm all right, Tom. Yes, good. Thank you. So I did kind of want to start out before we get into the TCI thing. Just a couple of uh, XTC-related questions uh, about the formation of the band. Uh, the band had a great run throughout its career, um, influential to a lot of other bands as well. What I always found interesting was um, the first John Peel session, which happened on June 20th, 1977, prior to you guys signing with Virgin Records. Uh, what do you remember about that and what do you remember about how it happened before you guys even had a record out? Good Lord, that's a long time ago. Um, I don't remember too much about it. We used to go to Maida Vale Studios to record them. Um, all the BBC sessions, I think, were at Maida Vale. Um, we were just thrilled, I think, just to um, to have John Peel um, play our music, I think. You know, and uh, I think all the family gathered around the radio and it was a big thing, you know, because we hadn't had that sort of exposure, you know, uh, even before we signed a record deal. So, yeah, it was kind of um, a milestone, I suppose, in our um, in our rise, you know. Uh, so it was, um, yeah, it was a big thrill. Do you remember, did he see you play live somewhere and then connect with you guys? Do you remember how that got connected? Uh, well, it was all done uh, through the uh, BBC um uh, publicity department, you know. Um, I, he, uh, John Peel actually did turn up at one of our gigs, I think. Somebody said he he's in the audience, you know, uh, which slightly unnerves you. you yeah, know? yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> but, um, yeah, um, he, he obviously made some sort of overture that he wanted us on the show. And so um, we were approached by other people, you know. And, uh, and then we did the did the recording. And you did a couple of more as well. They all sounded really good. The next next related sort of question I have, um, I'm based in the New York City area. I'm really interested in live performances from that era, late 70s, uh, late 1980s. And maybe you don't remember this, but uh, XTC played a great gig on New Year's Eve 1978 with the Talking Heads at the Beacon Theater here in New York City. And I think it was one of your first gigs in the in the States at the time. Uh, do you remember anything about that show? And do you remember being familiar with the Talking Heads before you guys pl played that show? Uh, yes, um, I, yes, I remember. Um, uh, it was, I think it was our first time in America, so it was quite exciting. Um, to be on your shores, I think. Um, it's a long time ago. I don't remember too much about it, but yes, I think it was just the thrill of being in New York, you know. Um, we toured with them in Europe as well, you know. Um, I think we toured with them before that. Not quite sure. We toured with them earlier on in the year, and then they invited us over. 
so we were familiar with them, you know, um, having been on tour together. Uh, so, you know, we knew we were acquainted, put it that way. Cool, yeah, and the Beacon Theatre is a pretty big theatre, so it must have been fun to play that for one of your first gigs in the States. And then you guys also played uh, a string of shows at CBGB's to start off 1979 as well. Um, smaller place, kind of legendary New York City rock club, so it must have been great as well. Uh, it's a pretty colorful place. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm sure. Yeah. What, had you heard anything about that venue beforehand? And then, you know, it's kind of very colorful place for sure. Do you remember anything about your impressions of playing there? I know that the Ramones had played there. That was a big thing. I'd read in interviews and stuff that the Ramones had played there. And, well, just anybody on the New York scene, really. So, yeah, it was kind of... To be there playing ourselves was a thrill, you know. Um, I had not bargained on the area being so downbeat, should I say. Uh, but um, it was pretty colorful, yeah. But um, yeah, very enjoyable nevertheless. Cool. So the funny thing is, it's actually uh, much nicer of an area now. It's funny how things turn out like that. Uh, very Boy, I suppose the real estate is shot through the roof and it's yeah. become very gentrified and uh, it's a complete turnaround from what it was back in 78, 79. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, unfortunately, I wasn't born then, but I'm sure I would have been at those shows. <laughs> but um, next question related to that. Um, really enjoyed uh, XTC's first appearances on Top of the Pops around that time. Um, there are a couple of different versions of uh, making plans for Nigel that you guys did for the show. Uh, fans' first big hit uh, that you wrote. Uh, there's a couple of different versions of it. There's one where there's like a big gong in the background. Then it sounds like there's another appearance. It's the it's a little bit of a sped up version. Do you know what I'm talking about? Are you familiar with that one? Uh, sped up version. No, I know. I can't. I don't. I can't recall a version that was sped up. Um, they're obviously mimed on top of the pops to the well to the same track. So I I don't know where the sped upness comes from, but um, maybe there is somewhere. But uh, I, you know, top of the pops is a lip sync program. You know, you just uh, turn up and lip sync to your record, really. So um, one would presume that there. They're all the same version, you know. Yeah, one sounds a little different. It's interesting. But do you what do you remember about appearing on Top of the Pops? You just show up and do like a mimed version of your song, basically? Yeah. Um, what do I remember most? Um, just the, the thrill of being on Top of the Pops because it was the music show in the UK for many decades, you know. And... Um, if you appeared on Top of the Pops, then the chances were, you know, millions of people would see you and buy your record, you know. Um, I remember um, we appeared on the, sh on the show with um, Lena Martell, I think. Yes, Lena Martell was on the show doing her song, which, which the, the name of which escapes me at the moment. Um, but she... Yes, she she said she really dug my green trousers. 
<laughs> so, um, yeah, so I was uh, paid a compliment by um, Lena Martel. That's very cool. And looking at this period of XTC in preparing for this interview, I didn't really realize you guys toured pretty much nonstop for uh, that period of time. You guys played a lot of gigs. And we, yes, we did. We did about five years solid touring, you know. And so then when XTC ultimately stopped touring, what was your initial response to that? Um, it was kind of a completely, complete change in dynamic of the band to shift to completely being an in-studio band. Did you enjoy playing gigs or were you burnt out at that point? And uh, welcome to the change. Uh, well, um, personally, I didn't mind. I mean, I, it was a kind of thing whereby, well, I thought that's what bands do, you know. Um, but um, it just means you've got more time to write, I think. And that's the biggest that's great for a writer, you know. Um, the other guys in the band, uh, Dave and Terry, I think it hit them more, it hit them harder than Andy and myself because, you know, when you're a writer, you've always got a friend, you know. <laughs> you, um, touring is, wasn't such a big thing for us, I don't think, because, you know, we wanted to, we wanted to write and touring stopped you writing in a way what well, did for me i could never write on the road you know so um we practiced little things in um in the sound check but generally speaking that was reserved for the time that you had at home uh, so more time at home means more writing so uh, what's there not to like about that you know absolutely wrote some great stuff in the post touring era uh, XTC but now shifting to TC and I XTC kind of fizzled out by the mid 2000s um, I was reading you did a lot of different session work but how'd you decide to dive back into writing and recording music with TC and I were you still spending time writing before this project really started um, on the side or in your free time and things like that? No, not really. I, when the band finished in around about 2006, I suppose it fizzled out around about then. Um, I, it's like a divorce, you know, it's kind of uh, suddenly this big thing is not there anymore, you know, and it's like falling off a cliff, really. <clears throat> your life changes and um, you think, what now, you know? And I, I think for two years I just watched TV, you know, didn't do anything. And um, slowly, and I was asked by Billy Shaw, Sherwood, a guy who now plays bass guitar in Yes, if I wanted to work with him and do some vocals on stuff, you know. And so he, it was him that got me back into it. So I'd record my vocals and I'd send them over via the internet and uh, did that a few times and, you know, I thought, well, maybe I should start writing with not any particular view of where it was going, you know, I just thought I'd uh, maybe 
like to start writing again after a few years but you know it was Billy that really got me back into uh, working again I think and um, and then slowly the, had a few songs and I thought well I'll make an EP then or something I'll, I'll, I'll put them out you know and then um, just as I was thinking about starting to record um, lo and behold Terry Chambers appeared back in the country you know after being 34, 36 years um, living in Australia, you know. Um, he'd come back to start a new life in the UK. So I thought, should I pop the question to him, you know? Did, did, uh, did he fancy working with me on, a, on these songs, you know? And luckily the answer was yes. Had you kept in touch with him much over the last 30 years? And what was it like when you guys first reconnected to play some music together um, we hadn't really kept in touch there was the odd phone call I think um, generally kind of where's my money <laughs> <laughs> now no, I'm only joking I'm only joking no it wasn't like that um, just the odd phone call really um, and um when he did come back into the country, I was very surprised and um, I contacted him or he contacted me. I can't remember which way it was, but um, we said, well, we should go out for a drink. So we went to a pub and, and uh, you know, my wife and his girlfriend uh, came too and um, we had a pretty riotous night of uh, drinking and eating pizza, you know. Uh, so... Um, yeah, we came, became reacquainted, and then a few weeks later, I kind of popped the question to him, you know, if he, if he wanted to do some work again, you know. Um, but yeah, it was it became quite a social thing for me and him uh, for a few weeks before we uh, got down to it, you know. And the gigs at the Swindon Arts Centre sounded incredible. I kind of wish I had made the trek out. I know a bunch of people from the States did. Um, when did you decide you wanted to play live again? Because it must have been a very long time since you played a show, if I'm not mistaken. And what was that like, playing live for the first time in a while? Uh, pretty nerve-wracking. Um, we'd made the record, and then, I, uh, and then we were kind of, well, what now, you know? And I thought, I wonder whether we should play some gigs. I wonder, or would it just be too much hard work? Um, so I said, well, uh, I think Terry wanted to play live because that, that was more his thing than mine in the early days. Um, and I said, all right, well, I'll dip my toe in it then, you know, and see, see how I get on, you know. Um, because I've been, I'd, up to that point, I'd been conditioned to be a studio musician, you know? Um, so I said, all right, well, we'll have a go then. And so we rehearsed together for about four, about four months trying to get, get our act together, you know, before we ever got anybody else involved. And then um, when we felt confident in us that we could pull this thing off, we got a couple of other guys and... Uh, and then we went into it. But um, I kind of, my initial thinking was, well, it would be nice to hear some of these songs in a concert hall, you know. 
because um, I'd never heard them that way. I kind of said bye-bye to them after I did the last take on the recordings, you know. That was it. And, um, okay, you can listen to it on your turntable at home or your CD player, but it's you pretty much wave goodbye to the intricacies of, of messing with that song, you know. So I thought, hmm, it would be quite nice to kind of hear some of this stuff uh, including mid-period of XTC and some of the later stuff as well. I thought, well, that stuff's never been heard live ever, you know. And it would be also of some interest to people, I think. So um, we we did it. And, and um, I was surprised at the reaction that people would come from all over the world, you know. Um we booked a few shows and then we found that we had to book more and more because they were selling out, you know. So, um, but after a, we'd done a residency for about six shows, I I kind of had enough, I think. I know Terry wanted to do more, but um, I, I, I kind of wanted to leave it there, you know. Um, my curiosity had been satisfied, you know. <laughs> That's that's it. Um, What about the how full circle it kind of came? Because I know that's where XTC played some of their first gigs uh, before you were called XTC at the Swindon Arts Center. Was that special to you at all that, hey, we're playing at the Swindon Arts Center where back in 1973, you know, I played with Andy in a pre-XTC project type of thing. Did that hold any special meaning to you, or did you think that was cool? Yeah, that when somebody suggested, well, why didn't you play the art center? Because it's a very intimate kind of small theater, you know. I thought, well, that would, that would be great, because that was XTC, if you like, or the earliest incarnation of XTC. That was their fir- our first ever gig, was uh, in March 1973 at the art center. Uh, I think we were called Star Park at the time, but um, essentially that was the nucleus of XTC. It was Terry, myself, and Andy, and um, so that it come full circle. I thought, yeah, that would that would be great if we could if things worked out that way, you know. So yeah, it was um, it made it even more special, you know. Yeah, and the recordings sound great. I really, you know, Grass is one of my favorite songs. Um, Standing In For Joe, great uh, late era XTC song as well. What was it like revisiting these songs to play at the gigs? Like you said, maybe songs you haven't played in decades. Well, it was hard work because we had to learn, we had to learn them all, well, I had to learn them all over again. Terry had to do even more learning, you know, because he'd never been involved with a lot of this material in the first place, you know. The material that we played while we were touring, and obviously he had his involvement with, so that was easier because he'd he'd still remember the parts that he played 30-odd years earlier, you know. And um, so that was easier for him because he could remember those parts. He remembers what he did. But the later stuff, he got pretty worried because he said, well, these guys, you know, they've, um, I wouldn't play it like this 
and I'd say, well, just play it the way you'd play it then, you know, rather than trying to imitate uh, the guy who originally played on the record. I say, well, we'll just do our own version of it then, you know. Um, it, otherwise, it would have went against his natural propensity, I think. Uh, so that's what we did. We we did our own version of a lot of the things in the mid period of XTC and later, you know. Yeah, and and so I have one last question related to XTC, and then I want to get into a couple of the songs. Uh, I want to play some songs from the the live record, and then some of my favorite, a couple of my favorite songs that you wrote for XTC as well, but. The documentary came out last year on XTC. It's great. You know, you were involved with it, and I'm sure you've seen it. And I regularly, you know, I know some fans that are diehard XTC fans across the world. There's a convention that's scheduled every other year. With all of that, with a lot of the renewed attention on XTC, uh, what do you hope the legacy of the band is at this point in time? Uh, all the hard work paid off, really. Um, that we have an enduring legacy, that, that, that all what we did together is being recognized as special, you know. That's all any band would want, really, to be recognized for what one did, you know. Um, the uh, documentary, I think, drew a lot of people's attention to the band, you know. And I think there's been a resurgence in the last few years of interest in the band, you know. Um, I think we went through a very lean period, probably around the mid-80s, before Skylarking. <coughs> and um, that was another resurgence, I think, because um, we had, all of a sudden, we had a career in America, you know. Um, we've had pinnacles and troughs, you know, of throughout our career but we've always kept going and thought well you know we might be in the doldrums now but we'll come out the other side and um, all that has contributed to people having a an opinion of us that is enduring you know yeah and it's funny that you mentioned uh, mid-period XTC because it's some of my favorite uh, in the band's catalog uh particularly king for a day is uh, my favorite xtc song uh period it's just a beautiful beautiful song and around that time you guys got way more experimental and it's definitely has psychedelic undertones uh king for a day in particular you know i want to play the song for everyone um beautiful sounding song um just makes me happy listening to it but then I kind of like listen to the lyrics a little more carefully. Um, it seems like maybe they do have a bit of a, is it a political bent? Or is this something I've been interested in asking you? Cause I feel like the lyrics are kind of much different than the actual instrumentation. Maybe they're a little, little darker, not necessarily darker, but a different, what were you, setting out when you wrote that song uh that people tend to chase money and ambition and stuff more so than small i always felt that small is what's important family and stuff like that and um i just think people place too much emphasis on money and and um creeping up to people 
with money and there's all that kind of sycophancy and stuff. Uh, I just thought that I'd like to bring that to the fore and, and kind of put it in front of people, you know. Um, but at the same time, it's it's just an up. I didn't want it to be a dour down thing. I wanted to, to put to music, which was invigorating, you know. But it's just, it is about kind of pursuing ambition to the exclusion of everything else. That's the gist of it. Yeah, know? but I, I've always thought it was interesting that it, if you just listen to the the music, the instrumentation, and kind of get lost in the lyrics by not really listening to the lyrics, um, the instrumentation is so uh, just makes you feel good. It's it's uh, upbeat and fun, kind of much different than the actual lyrics when you really listen to them. So I always thought that was interesting. Yeah, well, the um, <clears throat> the instrumentation, the riff is played in a minor key, and um, with ma mainly major chords over the top. So there's a kind of a there's a certain tension when you put the two together, you know. So for for <laughs> for the for the musos out there, <laughs> that's the uh, that's the tension I tend to look for is putting two things together that form sort of a, sort of an unusual kind of tension, you know. Uh, so yeah, that's that's just, <laughs> that's just for the musos, if you like. <laughs> yeah. Um. Another one of my favorite songs that you wrote, uh, In Another Life from Wasp Star. Really beautiful, um, a, kind of a, a love song, really, and uh, beautiful melody. Uh, is, is that an organ in that song um, that's played? No, it's a harmonica. <coughs> Excuse oh, me. It's a harmonica. It's a harmonica. <laughs> yeah. D um, did you play the harmonica on that track? Yeah, yeah, I did actually. They took it from the demo. I played the harmonica on the demo, and we tried doing it uh, again, but we couldn't get the same sound. So he's, uh, Nick Davis, the producer, said, "Well, why don't we lift the sound off of your demo and we'll put it, uh, <laughs> we'll put it on the record." And that's that's what happened, you know. But uh, it's a song really about. A real married couple, kind of the sort of things that they go through, having been long married for a long time, like well, like me, uh, I've been married forty-five years, so that's a long time. But that's the sort of I wanted a kind of a more mature way of looking at um, a love affair, you know, um, rather than you know that first sight of a of your partner this is much later on in their love if you like um sort of an old-fashioned kind of um an old-fashioned love you know um yeah and, and and talk about uh kind of um having <laughs> your habits and stuff that each of you has to accept uh that that may get on the other person's nerves, you know. Um, foibles, if you like. Um, the foibles that married couples have, and yet there's still an enduring love, you know. Uh, it's a very old-fashioned yes. way of looking at, uh, at, um, at marriage, if you like. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's funny that you mentioned that I didn't know that you guys pulled the harmonica track from the demo, 
But for both uh, Wasp Star and uh, Apple Venus, you guys did release the full demos of the record. Uh, why'd you guys do that for that record? I love the uh, demo records for both uh, Apple Venus and Wasp Star, but was there any reasoning behind why you guys decided to uh, release all the demo tracks for both of those records? Uh, no, I, t I wasn't particularly keen on it, to be honest, but Andy wanted to do it, and I said, well, all right, if you want. Um, my demos are always a lot more primitive anyway, because there has to be an ascent, I think. Um, if you make the demo and set about just copying it, then there seems very little point, you know. Um, besides, it's nice to have surprises in the studio, you know. So I wasn't particularly keen on, on, the, on releasing the demo stuff, really, but, um, you know, I just went along with it, really. But... Um, it, it was Andy's bag, really, not mine. <laughs> gotcha. And next, I do want to play some live um, tracks from the new record, uh, Naked Flames. Uh, Grass, great uh, live performance of this song. Um, Skylarking, classic record. Uh, most, one of my favorite summer songs, I'd say. Uh, it definitely sets the scene of summertime. Were you trying to capture a type of summery feel with grass and basically with the whole record? A lot of it really feels uh, very summery to me. Uh, well, if you remember from the Skylarking record, grass kind of sits right next to Summer's Cauldron. And. Um, we thought we would like to reintroduce Summer's Cauldron at the tail end of grass. So it was kind of, Summer's Cauldron is almost wrapping itself around grass, you know. Uh, just making a completely summery experience, really. Um, the actual song in itself is quite short, but it's, it's kind of, it's about that getting to know you know that kind of thing where you're, you haven't got a girlfriend yet but there's a lot of teasing going on um, with being uh, in the park or with some cider or something and you're drinking and there's girls around there's a lot of fooling around it's that sort of vibe you know and um, so it's early love or early infatuation if you like uh, and it's very animalistic and primitive and it's, you know, a lot of kiss chase going on, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so it's, it's early love, I suppose. Cool. And definitely want to play Making Plans for Nigel and Statue of Liberty from Naked Flames. Uh, Making Plans for Nigel, the band's first hit in the... <clears throat> in the UK, excuse me. Um, what was that like for you to write the band's first uh, song that really got significant recognition? Um, you had written songs on white music as well, that were on white music as well, but um, Making Plans for Nigel and probably the most recognizable song by XTC. Um, what was your initial reaction when the song became a hit and how do you feel 
about making plans for Nigel looking back as its legacy as probably XTC's uh, most well-known song to a casual fan, I'd say. Well, I didn't. Um, at, the, at the time, I wasn't really... I wasn't the major writer. I was just the bass player in the background, you know, because um, somebody said to me, I think it was one of the roadies said to me, Colin, you ought to write. Up to that point, Andy was the writer, and I didn't write at all. And some guy said, I think he was one of the roadies, said, you ought to write, Colin, Be, you know, um, you've got the voice, you should write, you know. So um, I started writing, and uh, I had a few inclusions on the first two records. Uh, but when Barry left, our, our old keyboard player, and we got Dave in, the, the kind of the, the dynamic in the band kind of changed somewhat. And I think it had an effect on me. And I started writing in, in what I would think would be my style of writing more so. I think in the the early records, I think we're more kind of trying to fit in with what Andy was doing. And I realize now that that was totally wrong. What I should have done is to write how I feel a song uh, should be. And that's what I did on that third record, Drums and Wires. I started to write in my own kind of way, a more melodic way, you know. And we had a hit. <laughs> I was staggered. And then suddenly the record company said, well, Colin, you ought to stand out front now. You've, you're the singer now. You ought to, you know. So that was kind of thrust upon me. But I wasn't, I was, a, uh, you know, I was at the back before. And now I was being thrust forward, you know. So it was a, it was a complete turn of events, really. And uh, building on that, I thought, well, from now on, then I will write, you know. But I didn't. Nobody really took me that seriously up till that point, least of all me, you know. So um, just goes to show when you're more yourself, things happen, you know. Um, now, of course, you know, it's become, well, you know, it's become a big thing. that It's almost seeped into the consciousness of the nation, you know, the, the title, you know. Uh, there is a gathering of Nigels in some pub somewhere now. The biggest gathering of Nigels. <laughs> and it's become quite a big thing over here. So, uh, yeah, it's ludicrous. So I'm surprised that it, it's, it has the legs that it, ha that it had, you know. Um, but, yeah, here we are 30, 40 years later, and it's still going strong. So big surprise. That's great. And you played a couple of uh, Andy songs at these shows. I, I, you played Statue of Liberty, which I wanted to touch on since it um, has New York uh, imagery in it. Um, why'd you pick this song to play live at the uh, Naked Flames gigs? Well, I wanted to do my songs, you know, this, this was... The TC and I thing, I think, well, yes, I, we should play my songs, I think, because I know how to deliver them the best. But I didn't want it to be exclusively mine. I think, well, let's play just one of Andy's just to kind of, it's just to say that, yes, these are my songs, but they're, they're also part of this legacy that we all had, you know. I think it would have sent out the wrong message if it was exclusively mine, you know. And I just wanted to do one song where I felt, that it was kind of just to tip my hat to the legacy, you know, as well. 
and I think that was the right thing to do. Um, so I thought, what song of Andy's could, do I think would be appropriate to sing? And I thought, do you know what? I think Statue of Liberty would be perfect because it goes back to the early days, you know, when we were starting out. So I thought that would be the one to do, uh, to say thanks for the legacy, you know. Um, so that was it. That's what I chose. But there's only we only did one of Andy's songs, and it was Statue of Liberty. Yeah, yeah. And then finally, I'd like to play uh, Scatter Me, great TCNI song. How'd you go about writing this song originally? Was this one of the first TCNI songs that you wrote um, when you started writing for this project? Well, we had three. We had three songs, and I thought, well, if we're going to do an EP, let's make it around four. Uh, so we kicked a few, a little bit of stuff around, and we thought, no, this isn't happening. We tried to jam something, that never happened. I said, well, I've got this thing about writing about death, you know. Uh, and Terry said, oh my god, that's a downer. <laughs> I said, no, no, it's not quite like that. It's death with a smile on its face. Oh, how does that work then? I said, well, um, you may remember there was a song around in about 1970 called When I'm Dead and Gone. It was by a group called McGuinness Flint. I'm not sure whether you've got it in the States. It was number one in the UK. But it, the, basically the gist of the song was, you know, um, when I'm dead and gone, I don't, I don't want to leave. I want to leave some happy woman living on. That was the lyric, and I thought, that's death with a smile on its face. That's positive. So I thought, oh, it'd be great if I could write something along those lines. So I thought, you know, make it a positive thing. Scatter my ashes everywhere where I've been, you know. Make it a celebration of your life, you know. A celebration of who you've loved, what you did, and all the rest of it. Scatter my ashes all over those places, you know. That was the life-affirming message, you know. And um, so I had these chords that sounded really good with it, and I thought, um, let's give it a go. And people were kind of thinking, my God, this is the best one of the four, you know. And so the best one of the four, I think, and the lead track on the EP came last, you know. In fact, um, uh, it came in the Whitson of 19... Seven, uh, 19, 2017, uh, two years ago. It was around uh, May time, and um, that's when it, the whole thing was conceived. So it, it came la last of all, you know, uh, of the four. Uh, but, um, you know, it was um, quite a surprise the way it popped out, you know. And um, it became the more popular of the four, you know. But great stuff. Yeah, definitely great stuff. And... Um so we're going to play these six songs for everyone, King for a Day, of course, off of uh, Oranges and Lemons in Another Life from Wasp Star, and then four tracks from the brand new Naked Flames live LP, which is TC and I, Colin Moulding and Terry Chambers, from their performances last year at the Swindon Art Center. We'll hear Grass, Making Plants for Nigel, Statue of Liberty, and Scatter Me.
seven boy and jump to a finger click In my way of living in style Cause the ladder gets longer
band mate, Andy Padre, this is Statue of Liberty.
Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Miss Susanna Bevington. Remarkable talent. All right, Colin, thank you so much. Uh, anything you'd like to add? I'd, I'm interested to hear uh, what else you have going on, uh, what's next for you musically. I know TCNI has uh, ended, but um, what's going on with you uh, next? Well, it's kind of um, knowing what I don't want to do, which is going out on tour, I suppose. <laughs> If you know what you don't want to do, maybe it'll point to something that you do want to do. But at the moment, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's kind of, oh, well, that's that over with, then what now, you know? <laughs> I'm back where I was 10 years ago. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's fine. You know, you get these little uh, dips in your career where you think, well, what now, you know? But it's that's fine, uh, you know. I ride through them and well, I'll do something. But um, I don't know what it is at the moment. And in a way, that's a nice feeling. Cool. You think you'll pop into the XTC convention next year by any chance? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I went to one in 2017. And, uh, you know, that was that was kind of nice turning up at one. But um, um, I don't know whether I'll, I'll go or not. But, uh, you know, I really don't know. But... Um, I might pop my head around the door. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, if you do, I'm, I'll see you there because I plan on going uh, next year and it'd be great to meet you. But uh, thank oh, you okay. for yeah. everything. XDC has such a great lasting legacy. Uh, my favorite band and you wrote uh, some of my favorite songs for the band. So thank you. It means a lot to me. And uh Whatever you do next, I'm looking forward to hearing it. And uh, thanks for taking the time to speak to me. I really appreciate it. It means a lot. All right, Tom. Well, th thanks for having me on the show. Thanks. Everyone, you can purchase Naked Flames, the TCNI live album that was recorded from the band's six shows at the Swindon Arts Center in October and November of 2018. You can get it via burningshed.com slash T-C-A-N-D-I. It's exclusively available through Burning Shed. You can also get other TCI merchandise, including a T-shirt and, of course, TCNI's debut EP, Great Aspirations. And I also want to mention that you can get all XTC-related records and merchandise through burningshed.com slash ape through the ape house imprint again i want to thank colin for being on the show and i want to thank everyone out there who's listened over the course of the first hundred episodes all the guests that i've had and had the pleasure of interviewing it's been great i'm looking forward to doing more we're going to close the show with one more song from Naked Flames the TCNI live record one of my favorite XTC songs that I didn't get to fit in yet Life Begins at the Hop 